We turn in God's Word this evening then to Psalm 119. We've sung two hymns from that. We now read God's Word. And we're going to be reading verses 145 through 152. Psalm 119, 145 through 152. Let us hear God's breathed out word to us this evening. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice. Give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Taken from God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to be here in this evening hour. Father, grateful to begin the day in your house and to end the day in your house. And Father, now as we come before you In this uh, time of uh, hearing Pastor Bob speak the words that you have prepared him to say, we just pray for clarity of his mind and speech and that we would be prepared in our hearts to listen and to hear and that we'd be renewed by your spirit in uh, rising early and uh, um, meditating on your words. In your son Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So part of what we're going to be doing Sunday evenings for the next little bit is giving some foundation to what we're doing Wednesday nights in looking at other denominations, other denominations, other congregations, in terms of how are we alike and how are we not alike. We use the example, this past meeting, of the fact that there are those that we as part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, embrace in what we call ecclesiastical fellowship. Those in ecclesiastical fellowship with us would be like greeting somebody, walking up to them, giving them a great big bear hug of an embrace, saying, I love you, brother, I love you, sister. We're in Christ together. Let's go on vacation. Let's take a week's vacation. Let's let's get your family, our family, and let's go somewhere for a week. That's that ecclesiastical fellowship. That tight-knit. On the next level, it's like walking up to the person and giving them a good, firm handshake and welcoming them as a brother or sister in Christ and saying, let's go out for lunch. Let's sit down and talk about things, how things are going with you. So on. That's what we're going to be doing this coming Wednesday, looking at three denominations where we would be at that level of fellowship. 
There are others that we would perhaps just shake hands with and say, welcome, brother, good to see you. There's others that we might just wave at. But we're certainly not going to spend a week with them. It's not going to work. So over the course of time, as we go through this year and as we branch out and look uh, from these, these circles, we could say, of fellowship that we have and look throughout Christendom and look throughout other denominations and then to those that are on the outside of that and why we deem that they're on the outside of Christianity, the, this series of sermons gives us, as it were, the basis for why we believe what we believe from God's Word. So that when we talk about another group, another denomination, and we talk about something that we, we see as problematic in our relationship with them, we'll have a better understanding of why, because we have this foundation. Now, it's certainly not necessary to be part of that Wednesday night program. That's not what I'm saying because it is also good for us to simply know who we are. What is it that we believe as Orthodox Presbyterians? What is, it, what is the truth that we affirm? How do we hold that in common with others? But how are some of the things that we believe unique and distinct from other groups as well? So tonight, it's looking at the Word of God, looking at Scripture. And what we're going to do is to allow Scripture to understand for us or to teach us what Scripture is. We're not going to go to a Reformed creed or a Reformed confession. We're not going to go to some statement of doctrine that we have formulated. We're going to go back to Scripture itself and just let Scripture speak I'm going to read several sections, have you follow along, of various passages, and then after we read that, I'm going to step back from it and say, what is it that we believe God's Word is telling us? What did God's Word just say? So, I invite you to take your scriptures tonight. We're going to begin at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the very familiar passage to many of you, but it's always good to be reminded what God's Word does indeed say. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 16. I'm just going to read it. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 19 through the end of the passage, the chapter, excuse me. 2 Peter 1.19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention 
as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then one more. Turn to Hebrews. Got to go backwards from Peter. Hebrews chapter 4. Starting at verse 11. Hebrews 4, 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So here's the first word I want you to remember in terms of what Scripture says about itself. Point one, it is inspired. This is how we got the Bible. The Bible comes to us, the Scripture comes to us through inspiration. That's what those passages are teaching us. Didn't come about from man. This is a product of God. God inspired men to write. But more specifically, we would say it is Christ who inspired the Scriptures. Because Christ, as we learn in the Gospel of John, is the Word become flesh. He is the Logos. He is the Word of God. So it is Christ who inspires men to write these words. And that inspiration is not a mechanical. It's not robotic. It's not take pen in hand, take paper, put hand on paper, and wait. Wait. And the hand begins to move. Now that's a Ouija board, right? That's not inspiration. That's not, that's not the way God has done this. It is lively. Did you catch that word in that passage? It is lively. It is alive. It's living. This, this is dead. This is mechanical. This is robotic. God could have just dropped it out of the sky if that's what he wanted to do then. But he chose instead to use men in a lively way, to use their own form, as it were, of literature, to write some as poems, to write some as proverbs, to write some as history, to write some as gospel, to write some as prophecy. Now, no man does that of his own. Those texts told us that. It's not like 
some man got to decide that, but what the passage is saying when it talks about it being alive is, is that it wasn't mechanical. There is a living aspect to it. Those who wrote psalms wrote psalms because they wanted to write psalms. God moved within their heart in such a way that that is the way they desired to write. Those who write wrote historical, wrote that way because that was the desire of their heart. They were inspired to write that, not in a mechanical, not in a force, not in a, oh, I got to write this history passage. I wish I could put it as a proverb. No, it was their means. But God inspires the means so that the word is alive. There is a liveliness to the Word of God because it comes from God who is the source of life. But those passages also tell us that this inspiration from Christ comes through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit becomes the means of the inspiration. It is that which Christ uses to inspire men. So that inspiration is not some great motivation. It's, it's not some heart thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing. It's the Spirit revealing to men that which Christ desires to be written, producing then for us the very words of God. Not the words of men. Those passages are clear. Nothing came about by, by the idea or prophecy of man, but men carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about Scripture, one of the key things for us is to hear what Scripture says. It says it's inspired. Christ is the author. The Holy Spirit is the means producing for us the Word of God. Now, somebody who believes that in the same way, if everything else falls into place, is somebody we embrace. And somebody says, you know, we love you, brother, sister in Christ. We're part of the same family here. We listed the past Wednesday night 20 denominations that fall into that category. 20 churches throughout the world. 20 denominations of whom we share these similar beliefs. Second word. You're still in the book of Hebrews, I trust, because that's where we finish. So go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And let's again hear what Scripture says about itself. Hebrews 6, we're going to start at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. 
so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, underscore that line, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Turn back to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Verse 17. Listen again, what does God's word say about itself? John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Go back a few pages to John 14. Verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. Remember, I mentioned Christ is the word, the Logos made flesh. Now Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now let's go back to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Find verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Go back to verse 151. We sang this a few moments ago in the in the psalm 119 verse 151 but you are near o lord and all your commandments are true go back to verse 89 the other psalm we sang a few minutes ago verse 89 forever o lord your word is firmly fixed in the heavens Verse 96, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad, meaning in its perfections. Second word is the word inerrant. God's word teaches us that it is inerrant. This is what the Bible contains. When we use the word inerrant, we mean what does the Bible contain? Now because of the author, because the author is God, because the author is Christ, who is the truth, it contains the truth. That's what we mean by inerrant. It contains the truth. God's word is truth. It is inerrant. 
There is no falsehood found in it. We find only truth in God's Word because it comes to us from God. Now, over the course of our study throughout the year, the Lord willing, we're going to come across those who are going to say, well, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but we believe that it has errors. We believe that it does not contain all truth. But if you see, if the Bible is from God, if God is the author, then if you say His Word does, contains falsehood, you are in effect saying God is false. This then becomes problematic. Can I hug you and embrace you as a brother or sister in Christ if you're calling God a liar? Can, can we really say that's a Christian? Somebody who calls God a liar is a Christian. They're a true believer. They trust in Jesus Christ. How can you trust in Jesus Christ if you believe that Christ is a liar? We believe that the Word of God is inerrant. It contains truth. In all it teaches, in all it commands, in all its content. The history that the Scripture reports to us. The history, the order, the chronological that takes place. The events that are reported. The people who are talked about. It is truth. Absolute truth. Pure truth. It has to be because God is the source of it. In its science, as it speaks of creation, we trust the truth of God over and above the theories of man. We trust the truth of God more than perhaps a scientific experiment might prove. Let me give you an example. A scientific experiment could be run hundreds and thousands of times in which an iron accent will always sink to the bottom of water. But I have proof that it doesn't always happen that way. I have proof. God's Word tells me. There is an occasion upon which iron did not sink in water. And I believe that truth. Why? Because God is truth and he told me it happened. In all of its science, in all of its miracles. Remember where we were this morning with the Sadducees? Deniers of all miracles, deniers of all the supernatural, deniers of the fact that God can intervene into the human world. That's the battle that was fought in the early 1900s, you know. That's, that's the tenet of modern liberalism. There is not the miraculous. God does not intervene. That's the basic tenet of evolution. God does not intervene. But the truth is, 
God does intervene. The miraculous does take place. God's recorded it. He's told you. He's told me about it. And that miraculous occurrences that are recorded in God's Word are truth. Just as much as a resurrection is. It's truth in all its content, in its history, in its science, and in faith. Remember one of the questions that, that Hannah was asked this morning? She reaffirmed her faith. You believe that in the Word of God, that the system of doctrine for our salvation is truthfully proclaimed. How are men saved? We read of God's truth. God tells us the truth about who we are, about who we need, and about what we become because of Jesus Christ. This is the truth in regards to salvation. It's inerrant. It always speaks to me and to you the truth. It never lies. There's no falsehood. The third letter. Turn with me to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. Look at verse 6 with me. What does God's word say about itself? The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The words of the Lord are pure words. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Proverbs, chapter 30. Verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Let that sink in. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We've had the word inspiration. We've had the word inerrant. There is a third word upon which we believe to be true about the word of God because God's word 
teaches it. And that's the word infallible. It's what the Bible is. Inspiration is how we got the Bible. Inerrant is what the Bible contains. Infallible is what the Bible is. There are no mistakes. There are no errors. God cannot lie. The words of the Lord are true. Making them trustworthy. See, that's what we believe about this infallibility. It is infallible, meaning that it is trustworthy. For you see, if at just one point Scripture lies, then God is a liar and He has become untrustworthy. How can I pin my hopes of eternal salvation into somebody who has spoken lies? Yet, as we look across the church scene, as we look across Christendom, denomination after denomination will say there are errors in Scripture. There are mistakes found in the Bible. And they wonder why they do not grow. Why would you be a part of a group of people who believe God is a liar? See, see, we need to be discerning. We, 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 you know, you can't, you can't just take somebody's statement on the web, this is what we believe, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay. But what do you mean by that? What do you mean that the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe that the Bible is inspired? That it's the inspired Word of God? Do you believe that the Bible is inerrant? Do you believe that the Bible is infallible? That it and it alone is the only trustworthy word we have? Or do you have some alternatives? You got a guy in big fancy outfit who lives in the Vatican. His words are just as trustworthy as God's. I had a revelation last night. I had a dream and God spoke to me. Well, let's base our whole theology upon your revelation that you just had. That's just as good as Scripture. My friends, that's what not just hundreds, not just thousands, but that's what millions of people across this globe, not just the pagans who know not God, who know not the truth of God, who care not about the truth of God. These are people who fill churches. These are people who come to church on Sundays. But they err because they know not 
God's word. See, isn't that what Jesus is doing with the Sadducees? They were there. They're, they're there for every religious festival. They're there for every sacrifice. They're there all the time. But they know not the word. They know not the truth. They know not the scriptures. But that danger, my friends, is not just out there, is it? That danger is in our own hearts. Or how quickly we are to flee to other advisors. How quickly we are to run after, quote, the truth of the world. To fashion our lives according to the latest publication. Or to take the truth that's printed on the internet as the way we should conduct our lives. Or to allow our own passions. Rather than as the psalmist has reminded us repeatedly to look to the Lord's commands. To look to His truth. And to seek to walk humbly by that truth. This is what we believe about the Word of God. To those who also hold it dear, to those who also confess its sin, its truth, excuse me, to those who hold to the fact that we are sinners saved only by Christ, we spread our arms. Welcome, welcome. To those who deny this truth, we go to them with the truth. We proclaim that truth. We challenge them with that truth. We make them face the truth of God's Word. Even as often, we ourselves need to face that truth and see ourselves as the sinners that we are realizing that we are not the source of truth either. That is found in Christ alone and in His Word. Father, thank You. You didn't leave it a mystery. You chose in Your love and mercy to give us your word. Truth. Truth that stands forever. Truth that doesn't change with culture. Truth that continually forces us to look at our own hearts, look at our own lives. Truth that continually drives us to Christ. Truth that leads us and guides us in the way that we should live. Truth that gives us joy. Truth that gives us peace. Truth that gives us assurance. Truth that is our refuge. Truth that is our strength. Truth 
for you our truth. Sanctify us in your truth, O Lord. And God's people say, Amen.